So two weeks ago, I said, next week, next week, next week. <laughs> I, it's, I, it's been a busy summer, okay? A lot going on around here, so, you know, you've got to give me a little grace. I told Kevin, throw me under the bus. Don't worry about it. I won't be here anyway. Um, but what I was doing last week was um, we have known a young lady. Her name is Gabby. Uh, since she was four or five years old, when Todd and Beth were f- first went to Mexico with Back to Back, um, about a week and a half, two weeks later, we showed up with about 60 students in a high school group. And one of the first students that we met the day we landed on the ground was Gabby. Gabby was four or five years old, and she was a little spitfire. She really was. And uh, she's graduating. She was graduating college. And so we just thought we cannot miss her college graduation. Um, after all we've been through with her, she calls me daddy and dev mom and everything. And so she's a real special a young lady in our heart. She came and stayed with us for about two or three weeks a few years back. And she's just awesome. So, you know, we just wanted to show you how, show her how much we valued her. So we all got on a plane and flew to Mexico in about three days and came back. And um, it was just exciting to be a part of that and be a part of her life. So that's why we were gone. And... Um, one other thing I want to share with you before I jump into the sermon here is if you've noticed the painting on the front of the building, um, some of you are like, why don't you just paint the whole building? We are, but it's taking us a long time to finish um, fixing the outside of the building. This is, these buildings are like 75 years old, and before we paint them, if you look at this building, if you look at the Grace Impacts there on the front of it, you'll notice there are really no blemishes or pot marks or cracks or whatever. It's because we're taking a lot of time to make sure they're completely finished off before we paint over them. I was told by a lot of contractors, you're wasting all of your money if you don't do that. And some of the some of the, this side, the Fifth Street side of the Grace Impact Center over here, has taken a lot of abuse over the years through the weather. So it's taking us a while to get that all taken, you know, taken care of. You crack into it a little bit, and some stuff falls out. And I told them we're not going to paint until it's perfect. So you can see what it's going to look like here, and you can see the pictures out there in the foyer, some of the renditions of what it's going to look like. When this is finished, there'll be nothing architecturally like it in Cincinnati. Okay, this is going to be really cool, and I love being able to show our community that we're a part of this community and that we're excited to be here and that we want to invest in the community like we have been for the last few years. And someone came to me this morning and said that they were working on the building and someone, an old time Mason person came and said, you know, you guys have really made a difference in downtown Mason. You are an asset to this community. You keep on renovating. You keep on making it look more and more beautiful with all your landscaping. They said, he said, every time I drive by, my heart just kind of swells. So, you know, it's, it's accomplishing what we we wanted to accomplish. People are seeing what's happening here and they're, they're kind of wondering what's going on in there. That's what we want because we want people to come to know Christ even through the facilities. So when this campus is finished, um, it will not look as much like an old manufacturing plant as it's looked like in the past. It'll actually be architecturally like nothing else in Cincinnati. So it's going to be a, a cool place for, I'm proud, I'm proud of it. I love our church so much and I'm proud, I'm proud of it already. But all the things that are happening in here and out there and all around, you should see what's going on inside the Grace Impact Center. We're replacing the turf floor. It didn't, that, car, that turf is not as good, so we're replacing that. We're just doing so many amazing renovations um, and we're going to continue until we get it the way we want it. What I'm excited about is that we have not had a capital campaign for any of this. This has come from all tithe. So I'm going to tell you, we're about $20,000 from finishing 
pretty much all of it. I'm not just talking about paving the parking lot. I'm talking about the painting, the restoration, the renovations, everything, this design. We're about $20,000 away. So I want to encourage you, if you have not participated in this already and come, kind of given a little extra, now would be the time. It's kind of the last push. Um, and we're going to do it one way or the other. God's going to, God has been blessing us financially. God has been blessing us. The church is not in dire straits at all. Actually, it's the best place it's ever been in the history of our church. But in order to keep Pastor Jeff from getting a little stressed out, if we had about 20,000 more, I wouldn't have to figure out how to get it. So um, please think about that. Pray about that. And if you would like to give, you can do it online. You can just, you can put in the offering box. You can call me, whatever you want to do. Um, just want to get this behind us because and by mid by mid July, the paving will go in the first week in July. By mid July, you will not recognize this campus, and you will be very very happy about it because this is going to be a really amazing amazing architectural um, wonder. <laughs> I love it. All right. The other thing I love is um, I love this sermon series, and I love talking about <clears throat> Joseph because he's so incredible. And this morning, I want to pick up where we left off last time. Last time we were together, if you remember, I asked the question, how can the enemy use our challenging circumstances to steal our expectations and our dreams for the future? How can the enemy use our challenging circumstances? Every single one of you, unless you're like holding an infant in your arms, every single person in this room has been through challenging circumstances in their lives. And, and my question is, how can the enemy use our challenging circumstances to rob us of our future dreams and expectations? It happens all the time. I was telling you about Joseph. Joseph had been given this amazing, amazing ability to dream, to have dreams. And he had the ability to interpret dreams. His brothers, on the other hand, did not like this at all. And so they were jealous of Joseph and they plotted against him. Well, the first thing they did was they took him and they threw him in a cistern, like a big well. So he's thrown into the cistern. Then they decide, let's sell him into slavery, which obviously is so much better. And they sold him into slavery. And the Ishmaelites take him. and They take him off to Egypt. So Joseph, the last time we talked, was sold into slavery. He's taken by the Ishmaelites. He's in Egypt. He's sold to Potiphar. Um, is in Potiphar's house and he's, he's in Potiphar's house. Um, Joseph is just blessed by God. Everything he touches is like, you know, the Midas touch. And so Potiphar puts him in charge of everything that he has. So that's where we were, we were when we left Joseph. We were also telling a kind of a different story about Barnabas, this young man who lives in Nigeria. His name is Barnabas. Barnabas's family decides uh, let me kind of give you a little backstory on this. I talked to Sandra and I got more information about Barnabas. Um, I talked to her on the phone and she actually sent me um, a whole, you know, a letter about his life. Barnabas's father kicked out his mom when he was very young and said, you know, I don't like you anymore and got a new wife and took, kind of pulled her in. So this is Barnabas's stepmom. Barnabas's stepmother uh, and father decide the reason that they're not prospering, you know, they're not doing well or whatever is because Barnabas is they said he was cursed. But uh, Sandra told me they said he was a witch. So they decide the reason they're not doing well and they're not prospering is because Barnabas is a witch. 
Maybe, maybe you get a job or something, that would help too. But, um, and so it's Barnabas' fault, and so I want you to enter into this story with me because you can tell these stories, and sometimes it kind of goes right over your head because it's a story. This is a true story. This happened to someone who is now a part of our lives. So I want to tell you what happened, and I want you to enter in so you can truly understand uh, this sermon for number, number one and truly get more out of it because you need to, to kind of engross yourself sometimes times and get an understanding of what Joseph was going through and what this young boy named Barnabas went through. So Barnabas is told by his father, put on a sweater. Why? I have no idea, but he puts a sweater on. I'm thinking most likely because it's, you know, tricking Barnabas. Barnabas is thinking he's just going outside with his, his father and his, step, and his stepmother. They say, put on a sweater. They take him out of the house. They take him out of the village. They get him far enough away and they proceed to drive four-inch nails into each ear to kill him. They basically drive four-inch nails into his head to kill him when they think he's dead because four-inch nails being driven through your head is going to kill you, you know, 99% of the time. They think he's dead. They roll him over into a kind of a shallow grave into a, a dust pit, and they leave him there for dead. And that's where we left um, Barnabas, but I, I want you to do something with me. I know it's going to be really hard, but I want to do it anyway. I, I want you for a moment to enter into Barnabas's life. Your father and your stepmother tell you to put your sweater on, and now they take you outside. You have no idea why they're taking you outside. You know, you have no reason to think that anything's going to happen. They take you out there. They proceed to hold you down, okay, and drive four-inch ni- nails, spikes into your head. Now, some of you are thinking, man, that must have hurt. Okay, but that's not where I want you to go. Where I want you to go is a little boy laying on the ground wondering, why are the people who are supposed to be protecting me doing this to me? I mean, can you imagine the emotional distress of 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 anyone who trusts them, especially a child. That's a, these are the people that you trust to protect you and to love you and to nurture you and take care of you. And before you pass out from the pain of having nails driven through your head, can you imagine the emotional pain that you go through as you're fading off and being and passing out, wondering what, 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 is, what is happening? Your whole life is... You, how do you process that? How do you process the people who are supposed to t- love you and take care of you doing something like that to you? I can take, I, honestly, I think I could take a nail being driven anywhere in my body better than the person driving the nail and the pain that that causes. I tried to, I, you know, I was, I was reading the story and I thought to myself, the, the nails being driven to his, his ears are terrible, but the, the thought of your dad doing that, your stepmom doing that to you, is emotionally so destructive. And I I just wanted you to, as we go through this, I want you to feel what Barnabas went through and what really Joseph went through as well. The emotions that they must have felt because these are just human. Joseph's just a human. He's not God. He's not Jesus Christ. He's Joseph. Joseph is a type of Christ, they call it in the Bible, a type, or the, the theologians call it, a type of Christ. So you'll learn a lot about the foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do, the Messiah would do when he got here, through a lot of the Old Testament stories. And for me, Joseph is really one of those people who foreshadows what Jesus will be like. And you'll see it woven throughout the sermon. Last time, I said that there were three 
um, there were three crises in Joseph's life that he needed to overcome, that he was able to overcome. Three different crises that he was able to overcome to fulfill the dream that God has placed in his heart. Every single one of us has visions and sometimes we have dreams, we have thoughts of the future and what God is going to do in our lives. And so many times there are people who come along and steal those, try to steal those from us. The first crisis that Joseph faced was rejection. You can imagine your brothers grab you, throw you in a cistern, sell you into slavery. So rejection. So he went through this rejection. And then the second we talked about was abandonment. The third crisis that Joseph went through, going through this whole experience, was abuse. He was abused. Now, it started out when obviously he's thrown into a cistern by his brothers and they throw they sell him into slavery. And that's in Genesis chapter 37, verses 26, I mean, 25 through 36. But instead of seeing this is what's amazing. I want you to see this theme throughout the whole sermon. Instead of Joseph basically rolling up into a ball and saying, you know, life is over. I can't believe these people did that to me. I reject God. I reject the whole thing. I'm so angry. Instead of that, instead of that, it's not what Joseph does. Instead of seeing this situation as worthless and completely hopeless, that's not what Joseph does. Joseph took advantage. I said this last time. Joseph took advantage of his circumstances. Whatever situation Joseph found himself in, he took advantage of the circumstances. He learned about Egyptian culture and language. He sold into slavery, into Potiphar's house. He's going to take advantage of the situation. He learned the culture. He learned. He tried to learn the language. Joseph never let go of his dream. He never let go of his dream. He trusted that God had a purpose for allowing his hardship. Think about that. For some of you, this is going to be a really tough sermon because it's going to be. They're going to. I'm going to talk to you about concepts that you're like, "Well, that's ridiculous." You got to be kidding. This is a real man. This is a true story, and this is exactly what happened. Joseph saw God's hand, even though God didn't do it to him. He knew that God had a purpose, even allowing these hardships in his life. So Joseph finds himself in Potiphar's house. Now, Potiphar was the basically the chief bodyguard of Pharaoh. And in Genesis chapter 39, verses one through six, it tells us now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials and the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned from the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He didn't concern himself with anything except the food that he ate, which I find funny because he'll he'll concern himself with that later on when Joseph takes over that. I want to stop for a moment and just point out that Joseph always, okay, in this story, Joseph always used his circumstances to his advantage. 
He always used his circumstances to his advantage. You see, every time you just you can just picture how Joseph sees this. And it seems like it lit a fire in Joseph's heart through every circumstance he goes through, every challenge he faces. Instead of retreating, it seems to light a fire, a raging fire in his heart. And he says, you know, I'm going to turn this around and I'm going to use this to my advantage. Whatever you choose to do to me, I'm going to turn it around. I'm going to allow I'm going to allow God to use it to my advantage because God will use it to your advantage if you allow him to do that. See, when you trust God, listen, when you trust God and you have an eternal perspective, not one part of your life is wasted. So many people say, oh, this whole season of my life, this whole period of my life was a big waste. I wasted so much. No season of your life is a waste if you look at it, if you stay close to God and you have an eternal perspective. God will use every circumstance, every difficulty you face in your life to your advantage. And that's what Joseph did. See, Joseph remembered all things. Now, obviously, Joseph didn't have the scripture at that point, but he remembered this concept. Joseph understood the concept very well. All things work together for good. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose, all things, all good things. No, all things. And the scripture really is talking about challenges. It's talking about difficulties. It's not talking about all the great times we go through. Raise your hand here if you have grown emotionally or spiritually through all the good times in your life. Someone raise your hand. That's where you've grown the most when all the good times are happening. Anybody? Right. I'll put my hands in my pockets because I don't learn. I learn during the challenging times when I allow God to use those those situations in my life that he did not inflict upon me. God will discipline us sometimes, but most of what's inflicted upon us comes from the people around us or the world around us or Satan, the enemy. That's who inflicts it upon us. But God can use what the world throws at us to destroy us, to flip it around. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Joseph loved God. In Potiphar's house, he learned something. He learned how to, uh, how to, um, to develop himself in someone who could handle an Egyptian household. He figured out how these houses work. How, how are they laid out? You know what I mean? Um, he, how, how does this Egyptian family operate? He gained, a, he gained knowledge. And you, if you know the story of Joseph, it'll all fit together. He gained knowledge how to manage a large, prosperous Egyptian household. Potiphar, head guy there, head guard, very probably wealthy, definitely powerful, had all these things, probably had lots of servants, lots of land, lots of facilities. And Joseph is put in charge of all of that to run all of that. So Joseph's learning culture. Joseph's learning language. Joseph's learning how families interact with each other. Joseph's learning how to manage a large, large Egyptian household. And he's putting all, he's processing all this stuff through. And even when he was abused, even when he, when he went through abuse, he would not allow his abuse to stand in the way of God's plan for his life. Now, some of you may be thinking, help me with the abuse thing. How was he abused? Well, I think it's easy for us to realize that he was abused first by his brothers, physically and emotionally, being thrown into a cistern, right? Sold into slavery. That's physical and emotional abuse. 
But he was also physically abused, and I'm going to say sexually abused, by Potiphar's wife, who tried to seduce him. Now, some people are going to sit here right now and go, oh, give me a break. He was at least over 17 years old because he was a young man. When he was sold into slavery, he was 17. So, you know, obviously couldn't have been much older than that, right? Because he went from Ishmaelite, sold to Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, sees that he's ruddy and handsome and tries to seduce him. And, and you think, I, I've watched TV sometimes, and I'm not going to get into details because you're mostly adults here, so I, you can, you can you follow with me because I don't want the little ones listening. But, you know, uh, you hear stories about teachers and, and their students and all that goes on and the teachers pursuing. And I'm talking about female teachers to male students. And, 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 and I've watched TV shows, and I get this, I get this feeling. It's not a feeling because they outright say it sometimes. It's like, hey, good old boys kind of thing. You know what I mean? Oh, if I, I, I met some some of my teachers, I remember some of my teachers when I was in high school, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. I'm thinking to myself, you're a complete moron. I'm sorry for saying that in the pulpit. But I'm thinking you're a total moron because if you lived my life and talked to the people I talked to, I've talked to two in the last couple of years, two late 70s to early 80-year-old men. Both of them told me that when they were in high school, their teacher pursued them. They would go try to go to this place with their friends. Or teacher would follow them there, find out where they were going, show up, and pursued them. And they both said, it ruined my childhood. These are, high school, uh, these are high school boys. It ruined my childhood. To the point where there's tears coming down the faces of these men. This woman, this woman ruined my childhood by pursuing me. Now, they didn't do anything. They didn't interact with their teachers. But for a couple of years, being pursued by this person constantly and having, you know, someone you know what I'm talking about, the pursuit that someone would do to you, they're crying. Let me understand. No, let's go back here. It's 2014. They're 80 years old. This happened 65 years ago, and they're crying about it right now. And they have every right to because they were abused by those people. I don't care if it's a boy or a girl. Spare me this whatever. Oh, I don't know the guy, blah, blah stuff. People don't like this. This was abuse. He went through abuse. So Joseph was, okay, so he goes through this. She's pursuing him. He's saying, hey, lady, you know, your husband put me in charge of everything. Not you, number one, okay? So leave me alone. She keeps pursuing him. He blow, he's just like, hey, I, you know, he, he runs away. She grabs his cloak and everything. And then she starts saying, he did this to me. And he is unjustly thrown into prison for something he didn't do. I don't know about you guys, but after my brothers and Potiphar's wife and everything, I'd be plotting and planning in prison. When I get out of here, Potiphar's wife's dead. Potiphar's dead. You know what I mean? I'm going to get my brothers. I'm going to be like scooping out a plan. I'm you know, like, you know, I'm gonna, you know, check them off. Like, you know, on your, <laughs> I mean, figuring out how, all I want to do is survive prison to get out and get back revenge. When I was, when I first read the story, when I was a baby Christian, I, I didn't know the ending. And I'm reading through and I, you know, I find I'm thinking, man, Joseph's going to get him. You know what I mean? Revenge is sweet. And, and this will all work out because God will let Joseph triumph and all his brothers will get, you know, whatever, stoned or something. Shocking at the end when it didn't happen to me. But for, for me, I was like, wow, that didn't, you know, what it, look at Joseph. Look at the kind of man he is. But that's what I'd be thinking right about now. I'd be thinking, holy mackerel, he's, in, he's unjustly thrown into prison. And, but despite the cost, he remains faithful to God. Most people, tell me if I'm wrong here, at this point, even before this point, are shaking their fist at God. Can't believe you did this to me, God. God, God, God. They reject God. They're mad. Someone else does something and they reject God. 
there is no God. I don't love. I, I always I kick out of not kick out of, but it was always interesting to me when I was a youth pastor. Students would say, um, I don't believe in God. I don't believe there's a God. I don't believe in God. About 15 or 20 minutes into the conversation, they said, I hate God. And I said, ah, now we're getting somewhere. And it went back to someone did something or they prayed for something and it didn't happen. They're frustrated. Most people be shaking their fists, but Joseph teaches us something here. He remains faithful to God. Through this crisis, crisis, Joseph discovers his strength to overcome temptation. I mean, you may be sitting in prison. Some people be wallowing around and all mad about it. But you can imagine Joseph. Now, let me say this. He's only a man. I'm sure he was ticked as all get out for going through all the emotions we'd all go through. But at the end of the day, he came back to, all right, Lord, now what are you going to do? God, how's this going to work out? I made it through Potiphar's house. I, I was raised to this you know, second in command there. And, and then this happens. What, what is the deal? I'm sure he had all those questions, but came back to his footing. And he learned that he had strength to resist temptation and demonstrated, listen, his depth of devotion to God. He, he, he demonstrated incredible depth of devotion to his Lord. He knew, you know what's, what's a great feeling? To know who you are. Potiphar's wife after him, it was so easy for Joseph to just like, I don't want to get in trouble, I'm just going to do this, and you know, but he wouldn't. He loved God more than anything else. He was willing to have himself, you know, whatever the cost, but he wasn't going to dishonor God. You know what what that says about Joseph? Joseph knew who he was, even thrown into prison. Joseph knew more about who he was in prison than most people ever know in their entire lives. Joseph knew what it was to resist and overcome temptation. Joseph knew what it was to have a total devotion to his God. And he could sit in prison and go, you know what? No matter what else, they can't take that from me. I know who I am. All right, Barnabas. Barnabas ends up waking up in this pit, kind of a shallow grave, digs himself out. People start see him crawling out of this hole and they start screaming because obviously you can imagine what he looked like. I can't. I mean, just too much to think about. But you can imagine, you know, they said he was a, basically a bloody bludgeoned mess kind of thing. And he crawls out. People start screaming. They call the police. The police come and get him. They take him to the hospital. And they put him in the hospital. And Barnabas is in the hospital for a while, and I'll kind of get that in a couple of minutes. But uh, they rush him to the hospital, and Sandra, who I was talking to this week, said the x-rays show that the nails went through, and they made like a sword, like a, like a crossing sword in his head. And they said, just, I mean, I mean, just, I don't know what word they used, but I think it was like barely or by, by millimeters, whoever just missed his eardrum and his spine. Because, you know, if you hit it here, obviously the upper spine and the eardrum, the, the x-rays show the doctors were stunned how on earth all that damage could be done, but not hit the eardrum and not hit this upper spine, which would obviously kill you or paralyze you or whatever else. That didn't happen. Um, after such an ordeal, I thought to myself, how in the world, how is he going to, how is this little guy going to see the world? Um, I thought, would his future expectations be lost? Would he ever be able to dream again? Would, would any of us ever be able to dream again after that? I mean, you go through the emotional kind of loss that he suffered and the physical pain that he went through, but the emotional loss, would, would anyone ever be able to dream again? The cool thing is Joseph answers that question. Joseph was an amazing man. I mean, this guy was just incredible. He saw, listen, 
He saw all of his life, every circumstance, as a series of events leading to his destiny. Some of you are sitting here this morning, and you, that's, not the way, that's not the way we think sometimes. We see things that don't go right, and we're, we're ticked about it. We're ticked at this. We're ticked at that. We don't learn anything from it. We're just ticked about it. Joseph saw every circumstance in his life as, as something that was leading him, an opportunity leading him to his destiny. Even though he'd been through so much hardship, he was obedient to the authorities that, that were placed above him. He was kind to everyone around him. It, here's the thing. It didn't change who he was. What the enemy wants to do is put you through horrible circumstances and change the person that you were designed and created to be. Do you understand that? I mean, I, you know, we can get real deep into theology. We can talk about, you know, the Greek and the Hebrew of all this stuff. But let me just explain. The, where we stand in this world right now, the, this life, okay, the goal of the enemy is to put you through and to inflict upon you circumstances that will change you into someone different, will change who you are. Because if I can change who you are, I can, ch- I can stop you from fulfilling your destiny. God has a destiny and a plan for my life. If someone can inflict something upon me and change the course of my life, they can, they would be able to change my destiny. They would change the person that God has designed and created me to be. There's the enemy's goal. That, you have to keep that in mind. That's what the enemy wants. Joseph would not allow that to happen to him in his life. He was physically and emotionally abused, but he kept his focus on God's plan for his life. He, listen, he had great expectations for God. Remember the first sermon? Joseph had, he didn't have unrealistic expectations. He had great expectations for God. Joseph teaches us, he teaches us so many things, but he teaches us not to lose our focus when hardship and discouragement and temptation enter our lives. He teaches us to not, don't, don't lose your focus. Stay focused on who God is and stay focused on who God has created you to be. So while he's in prison, he gets another opportunity to interpret someone's dreams. This time, it's Pharaoh. God intervenes again. Obviously, Pharaoh hears about it from someone else. I won't get into the whole story. You can read it. But, um, you know, Joseph is interpreting people's dreams. Hey, I know of someone. He's in prison. You know, Pharaoh, because Pharaoh wants to know. Pharaoh has a dream. How do I interpret this dream? He goes to Joseph. Joseph says, bang, bang. Here's what it is. Basically, in, in Genesis 41, 15 and 16, Joseph explained to Pharaoh that his dream meant that Egypt was going to go through the seven years of prosperity when it comes to, like, you know, just the, the, the growth of their crops and things like that. And then seven years of famine. That's what it's all about. And Joseph says to Pharaoh, hey, what you need to do is you need to stock up. When you go through the seven years of plenty, you stock up. And then the seven years of famine, you're okay. Pharaoh's smart enough to go, hey, you're the guy I like. So Pharaoh promotes Joseph to second in command of all of Egypt and puts Joseph in charge of all the food storage. Think about it now. Again, let's go back to this. Practical for you and me. Why was Joseph ready for this incredible um, adventure? Why was he ready for this incredible responsibility? 
how could he possibly be ready to take over second in command of Egypt? He was thrown into a cistern. He was sold into slavery. He was thrown in jail. When is it his fault? How could this dude be ready to take the position of second in command of Egypt? Because he was able to see each crisis in his life as an opportunity to develop himself more and more into a more godly and wise young man. He took advantage when he was in Potiphar's house. Language, culture, understanding how the household works, overseeing all that Potiphar had, how this goes here. You, you do this, you do that, you do Potiphar put him in charge of everything. Now, Pharaoh puts him in charge of all the food. Basically, you're second in command. He was able to take on that responsibility because he saw life different than most people see life. He saw every bit of his life as an opportunity to glorify God, to grow in his relationship with God and become a stronger and wiser person. We need to do the exact same thing. See, not everyone can handle um, this kind of devastating circumstance that Joseph went through. And not in, I'll tell you the truth, think about it. Not everyone could handle the rapid rise to power and prosperity either. Case in point, people win the lottery. Think about this in our context. How is it, okay, that you win $300 million and your life goes in the toilet? You think, if I won $300 million, my life wouldn't go into the toilet. Well... Your life wouldn't go into the toilet if you have been learning all along the way how to, how to handle money, how to handle cert, certain circumstances, not to have pride consume your life, not to allow people. If you learned all the lessons that God was teaching you along the way, the $300 million or $25 million have no problem whatsoever. But if you didn't learn that, you would be destroyed. The money would destroy you like it's destroying, destroyed so many other people. A lot of people can't handle quick, rapid rises to power and wealth because they are not prepared. People say all the time, if God would just give me this, if God would, I don't see why God doesn't give me. Because God is God and realizes if I give you that, it'll destroy your life. It'll completely ruin your life. Instead, we should be asking God for the maturity to grow to the position where he can give us what he wants to give us. He wants to give it to us. I'm not talking about just money. He wants to give it to us. But he's not going to give you something that's going to destroy your life. And if you try to go and get it and you get it without his will, you're going to destroy your life. So that's one of the things that we can learn. Most people, see, would see Joseph's life. Most think about this. Most people would see Joseph's life, this part of his life, as a complete and utter waste. What a waste of time. Joseph saw it as part of the journey to his purpose. Remember, this is a theme that's been running through this whole series. Joseph saw this as part of the journey that would lead him to his purpose. Some of you have been through such, in the last few months, emotional strain that has overwhelmed you. How are you going to handle it? What are you going to do? What, what, when, when the book, when the last chapter of your book is written, what is it going to say about that experience in your life? I fell apart, I lost it all, and I just gave up on everything and got bitter and angry and frustrated and yada, yada, yada. End of the book. The end. Or is it going to say something like, I went through this horrible circumstances that broke me to the point where I, I could hardly breathe. I, I didn't know what to do. But then God intervened and God, and God showed me and God came around me and God helped me and, and I learned this and I learned this and I learned this and the next time I went at that same circumstance I learned so much and it taught me this and it brought me to this place and praise God. Is that going to be the end of the story? It just depends. It just depends on how mature we are to see these things. 
Joseph was given an Egyptian name, Zephanath Paneah, which means a savior of the world. Again, a type of Christ. Okay, foreshadowing. Savior of the world. He did so much. God protected him. God gave him the supernatural ability to interpret other people's dreams. And then God showered him with honor and power and influence. You could slowly see the tapestry, okay, of God's plan emerging. As all this is... You ever... You ever I, a couple years ago, I held up this beautiful rug... And I showed you what a beautiful picture it was. And everyone could see the front of the rug. And they were like, wow, that's so beautiful. I really recognize that. That's so wonderful. What an artist. And I turned it around. What did it look like? Anybody around when I turned that around? Remember what? You ever turn a rug over? A beautiful rug? It's gnarly. It makes no sense whatsoever. It's like string everywhere. It's like, man, what a piece of junk. And you turn it over and you go, oh, wow. Oh, oh, wow. Oh, oh, wow. You know what I mean? <laughs> That we, need to, we need to turn the rug over on the other side and see God's handiwork in all, see God's hand in all of it. Because God, listen to me, he didn't do it to you, but he can turn something good, he can bring something good out of it. No one can steal your destiny from you. You can give up on it. You can allow them to take it from you. But no one can just snatch something from you. They can't take your joy. They can't take your peace. They can't take your contentment. And they can't rob you of your purpose in life unless you let them. And Joseph was not going to let them. So we've come to the climax of the story here. He's the reuniting of his family. His brothers basically come to Egypt in desperate need of food. And when I first read this story, again, I'm going, oh, now they're going to get it. Now they're going to get it. Because now he's in power. Now they're going to walk up and they go, kabam. You know what I mean? He's going to go, mm, it's going to all be over. Elbow in the head. Get him. I'm thinking, what? when I read this, I'm thinking, why does he just kill them on the spot? Just kill them. Because he had one desire, and his one desire was reconciliation. Again, think about type of Christ, reconciliation. But before he could reveal himself to him, he wanted to make sure that there was repentance, that they had gone through repentance. They understood what they had done, and they had repented. Again, look, think about the biblical story of Christ, okay? So he wanted to make sure that when he renewed his relationship with them, it was not based on fear, but that it was based on trust. So he came up with a plan to ignite, if you will, or to awaken their conscience. And that's exactly what happened. In Genesis chapter 42 and verse 21, it says this. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life. So you can imagine, again, remember I said Joseph's only a man. He's out in the cistern and he's probably like crying his eyes out going, what are you guys doing? What are you, I don't understand. Why are you doing this to me? They throw him in there. It says, we saw how distressed he was when he pleaded for his life. But we would not listen. That's why, his, that's why this distress has come upon us. God brought them to repentance, and eventually Joseph revealed himself to his brothers with gentleness and concern for their welfare. There was repentance, 
And there was response. Joseph responded by revealing himself with gentleness and with a basically concern for their welfare. He loved them, but he wasn't going to he wasn't going to say, hey, guys. No, there was a process here. They that he understood they needed to go through in order to become the men of God that they needed to be. So Joseph put them through this. They basically find the repentance and Joseph reveals himself. He also reveals something else even more important which completely blew my mind the first time I read it years and years and years ago. He understood, his, he, Joseph revealed his understanding of God's sovereignty over all things. I believe we have free will, okay? But I believe that God is sovereign over all things. God ultimately, you cannot steal. No one in this room, no one in this world can steal my destiny, can rob me of my purpose. Can't be done. God is in control of all things. And if I don't allow it to happen in my life, God is in control of my life. And if I submit my life to him and I'm sensitive to his Holy Spirit, I will fulfill all he has for me. But Joseph reveals something amazing. He says, this is God's sovereignty in my life. In Genesis chapter 45, verses 5 through 7, and then in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, it says this. I'll read it to you. Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves. Shockingly enough. For selling me here. Listen, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. He didn't even give him credit. They didn't, he didn't even give them credit for him being in Egypt and the position he was in. He said it was because of the save some that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will not be plowing or reaping. Verse 7, but God has sent me ahead of you to preserve you, uh, to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by, this, by a great deliverance. Chapter 50 and verse 20. You intended, listen, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. My friends, here is great humility. You want to know what humility is? There it is. God sent me ahead of you. I mean, let that sink in. That's what he says to his brothers. God sent me ahead of you. That is true humility. That is the power of humility. And then we see next the power of his faith. You intended to harm me. God intended it for good. You want to talk about faith? And I think Joseph could see this all through his experiences. Maybe getting off track sometimes. We don't don't know exactly how he felt all the time. The Bible doesn't tell us how he felt in every circumstance. But you can see it woven in that he understood that there was a bigger picture here. Here's the bottom line. Your sinful behavior cannot rob me of my destiny. That's what Joseph's basically saying. You guys, I love you. You're not in charge of my life. You abused me emotionally, physically, sexually. It doesn't matter. Okay, you abused me. All this, all this abuse, all you people, he's saying, to, all you, he could have been saying, all you people, all you did to me, you, you have no power to rob me of my destiny. You have no power to rob me of my purpose in life. I belong to God. If God wants to take me, I'll be gone. If God wants to leave me here, I'll be here. But while I'm here, I will fulfill my destiny regardless of what you try to do to me. Some of you had things done to you that are horrible. But you know what? That person doesn't control you. That person, if you, unless you allow them to. You've got to let go of the bitterness. You've got to let go of the anger. And not because, oh, let's be all Christian about it and just let it go. Let it go. I'm not going to start singing that song. Um, <laughs> you're all like, guess your minds went right there. I'm sorry. Okay. But I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is don't do that because it's like you drink the poison and hope they die. The bitterness and anger. 
Okay, you need to let that go and not allow that person to control your life. It took over 20 years for Joseph to fulfill his dream. But in the end, Joseph, Joseph did lead his family. Joseph was reconciled to his brothers and Joseph did save his people. So the question is, how do you how can you take the crises in your life and turn them into opportunities? Joseph was able to see his suffering from an eternal perspective. At some point in your life, every single one of you is going to go through hardship. You're going to go through pain. You're going to go through difficulty. You're going to go through losses. You're going to go through painful experiences. The question is, how are you going to handle them? After getting out of the hospital, Barnabas is dropped off at one of the orphanages that we work with through back-to-back ministries. He's dropped off there, and immediately Barnabas, okay, the nails in the ears, three and a half months in the hospital, Barnabas is smiling, and Barnabas is interacting with the other children. He's talking, he's picking kids up, smiles, but the, the laughter and the smile is what really struck the team that was there. One of the people on the team was one of our directors, Beth, and, and she said it in such a way that it wasn't like, why are you smiling? Why would you be smiling? Because she knew the story. She said, Barnabas, why are you so happy? Okay, now, all that you've learned through Barnabas' story. Barnabas says, auntie, which is what they call older women, auntie, because it's a new day. Because it's a new day. When children are dropped off in an orphanage, almost every time they're, they're emotionally distraught. Mom and dad drop me off. They leave I don't know these people. I don't know these other kids. They go into depression. They, they get overwhelmed. They sit in a corner. They may cry for days. They're depressed. They're afraid. They're shy. They're quiet. They're not smiling. They're not walking around. They're not picking up kids. They're not interacting with other people and saying, Auntie, it's a new day. But you know what struck me yesterday when I was thinking about this? Imagine what you would have to go through in your life that being dropped off in an orphanage is one of the best things that happened to you. Right? But you know what? Barnabas is resilient. Barnabas was resilient. So, obviously, he's gone through extremely... I mean, Sandra told me one of the stories yesterday was that Barnabas tried to tell his story to his classmates. He's going to school now. And he couldn't get through the story. So it's not like he's like, this is so much fun. My life is perfect. Not by a long shot. But Barnabas is resilient. And he has that spirit. He's got that resilient spirit, that persevering, that Joseph-type persevering spirit in his life. And so he, he's the kind of little boy that, if, if given the opportunity, can change the world. Our Heavenly Father, my friends, has a purpose for your life. He weaves together this tapestry of the difficulties, the the good, the bad, and the ugly, and turns it into a beautiful picture. He can take our purpose, even, even the adversity that we go through in our lives, we can profit from that. Listen, if we see, if we truly are willing to see the journey as part of the plan, I want to ram this home as much as I possibly can. You need to see the journey as part of the overall plan of God. We think of the end, like Joseph, he's in Egypt, yay, second in command, I knew I'd get here. That wasn't really the point. 
Okay, Joseph ended up second in command, but you know what? Joseph saw the journey along the way as, imp- as, as important or more important than the destination. That's how we have to see life. Or some have become, this becomes a waste, or this becomes a waste, or this becomes a, I've wasted. No, all of life can be seen as a journey leading to my destiny. But the journey is part of the experience that God can use. Joseph learned how to be a wise and godly man. From his example, we can learn so many things. And I'm not going to go through them all this morning, but a couple, I mean to throw a couple out to you. One is, when you go through a crisis, you cannot allow your emotions to dictate your actions. That is an American thing in such a way that we allow our emotions to dictate our actions. And also, you need to remember, you need to focus, when you go through a crisis, focus on the Father, not on your circumstances. Focus on what God can do through those circumstances. And don't, when you get angry, try to, try to let that anger go immediately if you can. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, it says, do not, do not um, says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Are you facing a crisis this morning in your life? Have you, have, have you had crises in your past that are kind of weighing you down? If so, the Lord wants to use it to develop your skills, to strengthen your character, and to draw you closer to Him. You, he can use whatever you've been through. He can use it to benefit you. The world wants to crush you with it. God can turn it around. God can turn it all around. God can bring beauty out of the ashes. Our family has decided that we're going to sponsor, we're going to sponsor this, this Barnabas, this, little, this young man, we're going to sponsor him through back-to-back ministries. And I, I want him to know, I want him to know that I, I call Sandra, I said, you tell Barnabas that the president of Back to Back Ministries is going to sponsor him and that our church, okay, the senior pastor of Grace Chapel, he knows Back to Back, he doesn't know Grace Chapel. So I told him, this is, this is the family that's coming around you to sponsor you. We believe in you. We believe in what, you're, what God can do in your life. And I told her to tell him that our church would take care of. I, I spoke for all you guys. Our church is going to take care of all his physical needs, okay, right now. So I said to him, your physical needs will be taken care of. Your school, your, your fresh water, your food, all of your now needs are taken care of. I told her to tell him from us to dream of the future, have visions, have dreams, dream of what God can do in your life. Because I know if Barnabas knows that now is taken care of and no one's going to harm him and he's going to go to school, he's going to dream of a limitless future. And that's what we want for him. So I'll come to you if something happens with him medically or whatever else. I'll come and we will take care of that because this young man is going to grow up and he's going to change the world. He's going to change the world because he knows that God, he will know in time that God is the God of the universe. It is his God and God can do anything. And no matter what has happened to him, God can change it all and turn it for the good. When Barnabas understands that there's nothing that can stand in his way. I want to say one other quick thing here. I know we're a little over time, but you don't care, right? Good. Okay. 
Jason and Emily Monifo moved to Nigeria years ago and started, and started uh, back-to-back Nigeria. Many of you invested a lot in that to make that happen. They went there and gave of their lives to do that. They're now home. Jason and Emily are now home, and Jason oversees site development for a couple of different spots around the world, developing those spots just like Nigeria. Haiti's one of those places. We're trying to get up and running. We're trying to get strong. There are so many kids like Barnabas in Haiti. And there are still many children in Africa who need help. Here is my point. If Jason and Emily didn't go to Nigeria, we'd never hear about Barnabas. If someone doesn't sacrifice and become a person who's investing in these lives daily, we don't hear these stories. We don't, ha- we don't have an opportunity to invest in their lives. In five or six, eight years from now, I'm going to tell you stories that are going to blow your mind about Barnabas. That's my dream. That's my hope for him. And people and children like him, like Gabby, who graduated from college, none of that happens without the people on the ground. They're the key to our success. Jason and Emily, I know, you know, we, you're giving to the church and everything, but you know what? Jason and Emily still need more of their support raised. I told him, I told him, you come here this morning, set up back there, stand back there, and let the people in the congregation come back and talk to you about what you're doing with Back to Back and the impact you're having on people's lives. And hopefully some will, will want to support you, financially support you guys in all the ministry you're doing and become a part of what they're doing through Back to Back all around the world. So he's back there after the service, okay, with Without them, we don't get this. Without sacrifice, this doesn't happen. So let's support the people who are giving so much of themselves. You know, we've learned so much this series, and it's nowhere near over, okay? Uh, I'm going to keep going. We learned so much in this series. We've learned what it means to have faith from Hannah. We've learned what it means to have courage from Caleb. We've learned what it means to persevere like Joseph. And to have that, to have that limitless spirit, to have that resilient spirit from our little boy there, you know, Barnabas. We learn so much about what God can do in our lives through these heroes, if you will. And one day I'm hoping that Barnabas becomes a man of God who's truly a hero to the people all around him. And he uses his story to impact the lives of children who are younger than he is. But listen to me as we close off here. Each one of us needs to come out of our life of spiritual mediocrity. If you're just floating, if you're just sitting in a chair and, and you know, you come into church, you leave church, I'm challenging you this morning, okay, to ask God, you ask him specifically this morning to light a fire in your hearts, to wake you up from your spiritual slumber and to light a fire in your hearts, a raging fire that will consume the challenges of your past and turn them into the hope of your future. You hear me? Ask Ask God to light a consuming fire, to light a fire that will consume all the difficulties and challenges of your past and shape them and mold them into something that will help you fulfill the goals that he has and the dreams that he has and the dreams that you have for your future. We need to surrender. We need to submit and surrender our lives to the will of God. And some of you need to unleash the visions and dreams that you've locked away in your heart. And you know exactly who I'm talking to. You know that God is talking to you right now. You need to unleash the dreams and visions that God has placed in your heart. 
Let go of the past. Let go of what happened. Let God deal with that. Hold tightly onto him and let it out, my friends. Let go of those dreams. Unlock those dreams and visions because little children like Barnabas and all the people around you need you to be the person that God has created you to be. Each one of us, listen to me, every single one of us, Needs to, needs to come alive and live. Live until the day we die. Live until the day that God chooses to take us. But don't allow someone else to allow you to just exist on this earth. You need to start to live again. Live according to what God has purposed you to be. I love J.R.R. Tolkien. He wrote this. From the ashes a fire shall be woken. I'm going to read that again. From the ashes of fire shall be woken. A light from the shadows shall spring. Renewed shall be blade that was broken. The crownless again shall be king. I want you to stand with me right now. Stand up. We're going to close out. We're going to close out with a little bit of clapping and dancing and singing. And I'm seriously, if, if I see anybody, if I can see you not clapping and carrying on, I'm going to I'm going to call you this week. okay? so listen, let's close this service out. This this song, let this be our anthem. okay? let's just be our summer anthem. Sing with all your hearts. If you know the song, if you don't clap and just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your hearts.